0: Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia, and you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 if you want. Gary, don't worry. Uh, I got me mixed up. I got everybody mixed up. Um, But there is a benefit in this. Y'all don't know it, but I usually stand up here at 10.55 a.m. And if you look right now, I got an extra nine minutes. All right, anyways, I like this. No, um, we did figure out that, that our cruise in April was canceled. Um, but had we gone on it, we would have probably been on quarantine for a few weeks after the cruise. And I said, I would have had to preach remotely. Y'all would have had to watch me on the screen while I was on a cruise. And then I started thinking, that's really not a bad idea. Um, so I'm going on a cruise next week and I'll be gone for the next five years. Um, anyways, anyways, I mean, if I'm preaching in the Bahamas, you know, It is really hot like it's in the Bahamas up here though, but that's because we got the doors open, AC going, and I am sick with allergies as well. Yesterday, Rebecca and I took JD fishing for the first time, and as we were sitting out there, we watched the pollen fly out of the tree, and I told Rebecca, I think I'm watching myself getting sick right now. So anyways, 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to pick up. Our study of the book of Acts, we're going to look at the church in Antioch. Now, Antioch was a city that is somewhat similar to Columbus. Um, now, size-wise, it was about 500,000 in population, which if you consider Columbus, Phoenix City, um, really Russell County, uh, Harris County and so forth, the metropolitan area of Columbus, you're looking at about 400,000 people. So it's relatively the same size. Antioch was the center of the Roman army. So it was a military town. Everywhere you looked, there were soldiers. And I don't know if you notice this, but every time you go to Walmart, um, right now you shouldn't go to Walmart. It's crazy there. But if you go to Walmart, you'll see one or two soldiers there. And of course, we all know a lot of them. So the city was, was relatively the same but it's kind of isolated. It's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, about 30 miles off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a very large city. It's a, it's a metropolitan area. It's filled with military people, and yet it's somewhat isolated. That sounds a lot like Columbus, if you ask me. Um, now this city, this city, beginning in Acts chapter 11, becomes the basis for christianity it becomes the home base for christianity. Okay? So after this, up until this, you've seen that all of the apostles and everyone is gathered in Jerusalem, but now beginning at Acts 11 when Saul gets there in verse 25, Antioch starts to be the home base for the church and you start hearing a lot more about this area rather than Jerusalem. Now, a lot of the apostles are still in Jerusalem, but uh, the the major military, major, rather, major missionary uh, conquests and so forth go out from from Antioch. Okay, so let's just dive into the text. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Because what I want to do this morning is study the church in Antioch and why it existed and how it existed and really what it can tell us about how we should be living today, okay? So, verse 19 of Acts 11, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Serene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, so you've heard this word Hellenist before. Back in Acts chapter 6, there was the... The Hebrews and the Hellenists. And they were talking about Jews. Both of them were ex Jews. They were now converted to Christianity. But when you get to Antioch, now the setting has changed. Now the Hellenists refer to Greek and Roman speaking people who did not grow up in Judaism, they're converted to Christianity out of pagan religions. Uh, the first of which happened somewhere around Acts chapter 6 to 10. Uh, Gentiles start being converted and start following uh, the Lord. You see, the first Gentile-born person follow the Lord in Acts six. With uh, one of the deacons is a proselyte of Antioch, right? So, so this this area, this this city, becomes the basis for evangelism. Now, I want you to notice something. Okay, other than the other than the deacon, rather in Jerusalem, that is said to have been a proselyte from Antioch. No one really knows who started this church. It's one thing that we've been hitting on over and over and over again is that, well, so there was a man by the name of Tony Merida who said this. He said, it was the nameless disciples that changed the world for Christ. This city, even though there's no one there of any important name until verse 25 when Barnabas comes and goes against Saul and brings him back, up until that point there's really no big name preachers in Antioch and yet it's already showing to be a very evangelistic city. So let's take a second and let's look at why they were so evangelistic. Why were they so why were they so effective in spreading the message of Jesus to a point where one of the well the third largest city in the Roman world starts to be converted to Christianity. Antioch the third largest city in the Roman world, with only 500,000 people in it. So when you think about large cities in the first century, they are not anywhere close to as large as we see today, of course. So how does this small church, who is filled with Christians with relatively no important names, as it were, how does does it start to convert a city that is the third largest, that is relatively um, pagan? In fact, you've heard of... um, Corinth was, was basically the Las Vegas of the time. And if you were to Corinthianize, it meant that you were to start living immorally. Well, they had another statement that when the Roman officials noticed that the, the morality of the, uh, the empire was starting to degrade toward the end of the first century and then into the second century and so forth, really that's what caused Rome to fall in the first place was the degradation of the moral society. Well, they said that, that, that Rome had begun to adopt an Antiochian moral. The morals of Antioch. So, it's a very, very pagan city. How can a small group of unnamed Christians start converting a city that is taken over by idolatry and paganism and sin? Number one, they had a burning passion for Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 19 and 20 again. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, did you notice something about the people and where they come from? They were so enamored with the gospel. They were so on fire for spreading the gospel that these people from Cyprus and Serene, when they got to Antioch, they just stopped. Now, you may not know this, you may not be uh, too up to date on your first century antiquarian uh, geography, which is perfectly fine, uh, but Cyprus, not that far. It's, it's a closer distance by boat from Cyprus to Antioch than it is from Antioch to Jerusalem. So they had traveled from Cyprus and Serene, Serene is just down the road as well. So these people had traveled 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch and they're just a little bit away from home and instead of going home, they stay in Antioch. Why? Why did they decide to stay in a city that is overrun with paganism, they're new Christians and so forth, when they could have just gone home? They would have, could have gone to Cyprus, they could have gone to Serene and not had any problems. We'll get back to that here in just a second, but, but mainly it was because of their passion for the gospel. Number two, look at verse number 20. They were passionate for the gospel because they had understood that there were people in Antioch that needed the gospel, namely this group called the Hellenists that had not been contacted by Christianity yet, the Gentiles they had this, this culturally engaging mentality. It wasn't that they would isolate themselves from the world to try to keep themselves pure. They actually went to the city, saw that it needed Christ, and stayed there, even though it would have been more effective, relatively speaking, it would have been more safe for their souls to go on home to Cyprus and Serene instead of staying in Antioch. And and if you've you've ever noticed, Christians, um, today at least, we are really good at isolating ourselves. Maybe not when it comes to church. Maybe it gets a little weird when we have to sit one family to a pew and touch elbows or not touch at all. Listen, I got baby Maddie at home. I'm not touching any of y'all today. Sorry. Love y'all. But you stay there. I'm going to stay up here. All right? So um, Christians are really good at isolating ourselves. We, we, we make the claims, and rightfully so, we look at the Old Testament and we see men like Lot, who, when they are given a, a, a choice to decide where they'll live, they go and they live close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the, the, the text says that he that he that he that he built his camp near Sodom and Gomorrah facing it. And we, we take passages like that and we say why did he do that? Because because he didn't he didn't pay attention to, to his moral purity, and we start we start extrapolating that out to say that well, in order to do that you have to you have to isolate yourselves. Even as far as certain religious groups who claim Christianity will live off by themselves, and it's nothing new. There was a group of Essenes Jewish Essenes in the first century that did the same thing. They lived off in the desert by themselves because they were so terrified of being morally corrupted by the pagan world that they, that they isolated themselves. And you have Christian groups or quote unquote Christian groups today that do the exact same thing. And my argument is, is that that's fine to isolate yourselves in certain instances to keep yourselves pure. However, these Christians didn't make the case and say, well, you remember what Lot did. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and it corrupted him. Yes, it did. But why were these Christians not corrupted? Because their spiritual maturity was such that they were able to put themselves in situations where they could show the love of God, they could show the truth, and they could live in a way that wasn't isolated, but that people would actually see the gospel through them. Now, the only way for people to see the gospel through them is to be in places where the gospel is needed most. And they looked at Antioch, They saw the Hellenists there, and they said, we are staying here. Now, number three, their evangelism was so effective because they understood one thing, which I think is important. You know, this past weekend, I kind of played around with, should I write a new sermon based on the current situation? And then I started thinking about the sermon that I had already prepared, this one. And I thought, well, it's, it's so similar, I don't know if I could write something that's, really any different than what I'm preaching on now. I'll just mention it in, in there in passing. So, here's the deal. They took precautions on themselves to preach the gospel. They, they put themselves in situations where they could preach the gospel and show God and show the, the grace of God. In fact, in this text, and when, when Barnabas and Saul get to, really when Barnabas gets to the, the people, he sees that the grace of God was there. They took the actions that were needed, but they also understood that there was a healthy level, if not even more than a healthy level, of sovereignty involved in what they were doing. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. These people knew the gospel. They knew the truth. They knew the difference between paganism and Christianity. They knew the difference between Old Testament Judaism and Christianity. And yet they still needed something else. The text says that the hand of the Lord was upon them. Now if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see a couple times where the hand of the Lord is upon someone. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 8 is the first one. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple. This is when Nehemiah is is wanting to build the city and build the temple again. And for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted to me what I had asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. You go to Luke chapter 1 verse 65 fear comes on all the neighbors after Jesus had had cast out demons and so forth. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him. So, the hand of God being upon them was something, it wasn't just them. There's something that we need to pay attention to, okay? And that is this idea of sovereignty. I think a lot of Christians have misunderstood what God's sovereign nature actually means. God is sovereign. That means that He decides what will and what won't happen. But at the same time, He places certain things because of His sovereignty under the realm of mankind's decisions. So, for instance, God is sovereign. God could make you and you and you and every single person in this building and every single person on this earth, he could make us be baptized. He could. He could make us be saved. He could take away baptism altogether. You know, baptism isn't necessary for salvation unless God says it's necessary for salvation. He didn't have to set it up that way. He could have automatically said that every person who ever lives will automatically be saved. I'm just going to forget their sins altogether. But instead, in his sovereignty, he made the decision to make us have to have some skin in the game, as it were. And that's the same thing that these Antioch Christians are having. They they understand that it's their job, but they also understand that God is helping them. That God is in control. That no matter how bad a virus can get, God is still in control. He's still sovereign, no matter what. Now, the reason why this virus even exists is because of evil. Because if it hadn't been for the fall, we wouldn't have problems like this. But if, we, if it hadn't been for the fall with Adam and Eve, and one of y'all didn't mess it up, I guarantee you I would have messed it up by the time I came along. So we were going to fall eventually. But the fact is that God was still sovereign through everything. And they were looking down the barrel of paganism, as it were. And they said, one, I'm going to stay here because I love Jesus Christ. Two, I'm going to stay here because these people need the gospel. And three, I'm going to stay here because God's in control and I know that I will be okay. The difference between the people in Antioch and Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah was that Lot just lived there and didn't care. He had no desire to show the truth of the law of Moses to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. These people in Antioch actually did. So, the first thing about the church there was that they had evangelism. They were were living evangelism. Now, number two is this idea of discipleship. Look at verse number 22. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many of people. And, Antioch, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. They discipled. They, they were discipled. what does it mean to be a disciple? Matthew 28, 9, 10, and 20. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you until the end of the world. What does it mean to be a disciple? Because Jesus places discipleship before salvation in Matthew 28. Now, does that mean, does that mean that until you until you are discipled and you know a certain level of Christianity that you can't become a Christian, not when you look at Scripture because you have spontaneous baptisms and spontaneous people being saved throughout the book of Acts. But What you have is this understanding that you need to know about God. You need to become a disciple. And then after you're baptized, you need to, you need to continually, continually become discipled. So the, the avenue of discipleship when it came to Antioch, is pretty interesting. Look back at verse number 22. So when the, the church in Jerusalem, the more mature church, the, the church that knew more gospel just by nature of the people that were in Jerusalem, when the church at Jerusalem heard that there were Christians in Antioch, they sent Barnabas. Now, is that because they tore down church autonomy? Listen, I'm... I'm not going to get into that. Church autonomy is real. We need to pay attention to it. But nonetheless, is, is it? Did they send Barnabas as a we're going to check on y'all to make sure you're okay, make sure we can still you know keep track of you because we're Jerusalem, we're in charge, we're the more mature Christians, and so we need to we need to keep an eye on you because you're this new church and we don't know what's going to happen. And if you're going to use the name Church of Christ, we need to make sure that you're you're on the up and up. No. See, they sent Barnabas not because he was the best teacher. In fact, he wasn't. Let's just think about this for just a moment. Barnabas got his nickname because he was an encourager. In fact, Barnabas means son of encouragement. But when Barnabas wanted to go on a missionary journey in a couple chapters, in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas didn't go by himself. Why? Because he wasn't a great teacher. He was a great encourager. So the discipleship that Jerusalem sent to Antioch was not so that they could learn the truth better so that we could make sure that if they're going to use the name, then they need to make sure that they're... We'll talk about that here in just a second. The reason why they sent Barnabas was because discipleship first starts with, with encouragement. You have a brand new Christian. A brand new Christian who just came out of a world of sin. And I'm not talking like The sins that our kids come out of when they obey the gospel when they're 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 22, 48, whenever. I'm not talking about that kind of sin. I'm talking about if you wanted to talk about the degradation of moral society in Rome, you said that they accepted an Antiochian moral. This is real sin. This is big sin. However you list sins on your list and your list is different than the person sitting next to you, these are all big ones. You have a new Christian that comes out of that kind of life. I'm going to ask you a question honestly. And I want you to answer it honestly to yourself. Do they need to know what the four horsemen in the book of Revelation mean? Or do they need to be encouraged to put down the drink? Or to stop doing this? Or to stop doing that? They don't need gospel doctrine at the moment. They need encouragement. And so, when the discipleship starts at the church in Antioch, Jerusalem sends Barnabas because the first thing they need is encouragement. They need someone who can encourage them to just keep it going and even though we're going to fail a lot, they need some accountability and some encouragement. Now, look down at verse number 25. When Barnabas went, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He didn't just leave it at encouragement. It wasn't just this accountability and encouragement, we're just going to leave it at that. They did need to know the truth. But at this point, at this point, Barnabas isn't going to get Saul because Jerusalem told him to. He's going to get Saul because he sees, hey, these Christians need my encouragement, but they also need something else. A new Christian doesn't just need encouragement. That's why we've got so many churches that don't have any clue when it comes to do- doctrine and gospel, because all they are is encouragement. But that's also why we have so many Christians that are hard nosed on gospel and their truth, and they're a faithful church. But as soon as somebody obeys the gospel, they're gone because all it is is just beat them down. I can, I can tell you story after story. Now, this isn't to degrade them or anything. But in 2009, when I obeyed the gospel, I'll just tell you one story. I've told you about my friend, my very, very good friend, who I make fun of every time I see for this statement. When I was baptized, he said, uh, I have, a, I have a, a real knack at knowing this. Uh, you're not going to make it. And I said, bet me. Because now, now I'm, I'm going to preaching school just to prove you wrong. Anyways, I didn't do that, but that was my first thought. I went on the first missionary journey that I went on the first campaign just to prove him wrong. Um, anyways, but while I was on that campaign, I had this conversation in the back of a van. It was about the time for prom. And I was a new Christian. Listen, I came out of the same type of things that these people are coming out of. I'm embarrassed when Becca finds out some stuff about who I was beforehand. And I was sitting in the back of a van and someone mentioned that one of the kids from church had gone to the prom that Friday night. And I said, I don't really see a problem with the prom. I don't, I don't really understand. What's the big deal? I don't, I don't understand. Can someone explain it to me? And we went into a 45-minute diatribe of why I was in sin for even suggesting that a problem was okay. See, that's not the kind of encouragement that a new Christian needs. Now, that wasn't the whole group. That was one individual in that group. And she apologized since then and understood. And the, the, but I told her, I'm going to use you as an ex- example for the rest of my life. And she said, that's fine. I need to be used as an example for the rest of my life. But the fact is, they didn't just leave it at encouragement. They sent Barnabas for accountability and encouragement. And then, when he realized that they needed more they didn't just need encouragement. They also needed doctrine because you can't disciple someone. You can't be a faithful church if all you are is just encouraging and you have no doctrine. You can't be a faithful church if all you are is doctrine and you have no encouragement. And so he goes and he gets Saul. Now, for just a second, I want you to think about what happens when Saul of Tarsus walks into the, to the church building, as it were, in Antioch. Just a second. You think Ananias was terrified to go talk to him. God himself was speaking to him. God said, Ananias, I want you to go. I want you to find Saul. He's in Damascus. He's been praying. Ananias is scared to go. Now just imagine you're sitting in worship service, and all of a sudden the guy who's been putting people in jail for the last two or three years walks in and says, I'm a new Christian. And one of your fellow brothers is walking beside him, and he says, yeah, he is. How trustworthy do you think those Christians were in order to accept Saul? Saul. Given today's mentality in the church, we would have been terrified. Given their mentality in the church, let's read it again. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many of people. Doesn't seem like there was any animosity towards Saul at all. Why? This was the perfect church for Saul. These people were not the old-time Jews These were new Christians who came out of paganism and they said, listen, we know you have some bad history, but we've got bad history as well. So why don't you stay? You've been spending three years in the wilderness trying to learn from Jesus. You're an apostle of Jesus now. Why don't you stay with us for a while? And then Antioch seems to become his entire life, as it were. Now, I'll end with this. I know I got to start early um, so I'm going to end early. You're welcome. You can, you can account it as a coronavirus gift from your preacher. All right, you ready? I don't have toilet paper from you, but I can give you, let you go 10 minutes early. All right, so verse number 27. Verse 27. They had discipleship, but they also had evangelism. So, when someone obeyed the gospel, they discipled them. They built them up. They encouraged them. They gave them doctrine. They gave them teaching. But they understood that you need both and you need both equally. So, they were evangelistic. They discipled each other. And now, look at this. And this is really where I want to talk about what's happening right now. Verse 27 Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood and foretold, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so. Antioch showed a a type of love for their fellow man, their fellow Christians, that was unheard of at the time. Think about who they're sending this money to. The text says Judea. You know what cities in Judea? Jerusalem. You know what's going to happen in a few chapters? They're going to have a big conference in Jerusalem because they don't think that the people in Antioch should be Christians because they're Gentiles. And the Gentiles end up sending money to the people that don't like them in Jerusalem because they know they need help. They had evangelism, they had discipleship, and they had benevolence. They had this, this love for each other that superseded any of the the problems for the world today. Now, listen. Over the last 2,000 years, Christianity has had a lot of problems. Both true New Testament Christianity and false societal Christianity has had a lot of problems. Do you want to know what has spanned the test of time across everything? And that is, I just want to give you an instance. When the Black Plague swept across Europe, everybody ran for their lives except the Christians. They stayed and they took care of people. When the Spanish flu took over and killed about 27% of the human population in the early 1900s, the people that were taking care of the people with the Spanish flu were Christians. It's something ingrained in Christianity to want to help people. Please do not be terrified. I know we've taken precautions. We're going to continue to take precautions. Because take ca- precautions. But Did I just say partake cautions? To take precautions. Because, let's face it, a lot of our church family are those that are the most, uh, in the most danger for this. But there's a lot of us that aren't in any danger. Did you know that if you are my age or older than me by about 10 to 20 years, your likelihood of survival, if you even contract coronavirus, which which is saying that you actually are, is about 97%. The Christians that aren't in danger right now need to be the ones that are taking care of the people that are in danger. So here's what I want you to do this week, okay? Now that the world is completely shut down, I saw a meme the other day that said, Welcome to America, it's closed. Um, now that the world is shut down, call those people with compromised immune systems. Call those people who can't leave their homes. Make sure that if they need groceries, I'll go get it. I may not be able to find any, but I'll go find it if I can. If you need medicine, I'll go get it for you. Take the precautions necessary, but also live up to the type of mentality that, and I'm not just talking about Christians here as well, because I think we've, we've, We've got this false idea in in the church today that says that Christians should only take care of Christians. That's just flat not true. But nonetheless, I want you to look this week and say, who can I help? Because I'm going to live up to the people in Antioch's model. They sent money to the people that didn't even like them because they knew they needed it. Now, last but not least, real quick. Turn to chapter 13, verse 1. I want to leave you with this, because this is something interesting. This is just a bonus. This is, this is kind of like, we had three points and a bonus point, all right? Chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, so, you know who the person was now, back in chapter 11, verse 19, where it says there are people from Cyprus and Serene. One of them's name is Lucius. And there's another guy named Barnabas and Saul. We know who they are. Menaean. Menaean is, is a lifelong friend of a Roman official. So you have, you have a person who's not from here, who saw a need for the gospel, You have a person who's probably rather rich because he's friends with Herod the Tetrarch. You have Saul who's an apostle of Jesus Christ. You have Barnabas who is an encourager who is known throughout the church at this point. And then you have this other guy named Simeon. Simeon who is also called Niger. His name meant black. Just how it is. Just words. His name meant black. So you have a black guy, you have a white guy from Cyrene, you got a rich guy, you got an apostle, and you got Barnabas. And they were all working together. In a time where that does not happen. I mean, think about it. Think about it. It just doesn't happen back then. They they embraced the understanding that there's, there's no difference between Christians. You can be rich, you can be from this other place named Serene, this, this Italian guy from Serene, you can, you can be a black guy from from what we probably think is, is somewhere, you know, like the Ethiopian eunuch, somewhere around there. And they they embraced everything that the church is. Why were they so successful? Because they embraced everything that the church was. They had evangelism, they had discipleship, they were benevolent, they loved one another, and they knew that there's no difference between all of us. They embraced the church. Every time you look at a church in the New Testament, That is one of those type of churches, it's because they embrace everything. They don't just focus on one thing. They focus on everything. Now, if you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and Gary's going to lead us in a song of encouragement. And you can be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you won't ever have to worry about anything that happened in the past, as long as you're willing to confess your sins and repent of them. See, it's not, just, it's not good enough just to be baptized. You, you have to understand what you're doing. And so if you want to do that this morning, we're willing to help you with that. And then um, if you need prayers or encouragement or help from the church in a way, from your fellow brothers and sisters, because you have been baptized, but something's wrong, something's a sin, there's, there's some other kind of need that you have, you can let us know. We're going to stand. And if you have any need for the invitation, you can come down.